Awesome. Thank you. All right. Hi, everybody. My name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in New York and happy, happy to be here feeling really excited and looking forward to the, you know, the holidays that are coming up. I start kind of feeling it in the air. And, um, and that's often a time that compulsive overeaters get nervous, you know, especially if you're new to recovery and you're having like this, you know, new kind of run and abstinence and you're afraid like here comes the holidays and what's going to happen um so i think it's a good opportunity for us to discuss like what does it mean to be abstinent throughout the holidays and um so you know i think i i often um share you know my photos from time to time especially when there's new people and i'll I want to share them just briefly because there's a couple of photos in here that kind of show um, occasions, you know, when there was something significant going on. And so I'm going to kind of try to get to those photos quicker, you know, so um, I always kind of start off here. This is like over 21 years ago when my daughter was first born. And this was like a few years, you know, a little bit later. And I was just always struggling with this disease. You know, I'm in a restaurant now. This is what I typically did. We went out to eat an awful lot um, because food was my master. <laughs> and my master said, you like to go out to dinner. And I really didn't, you know, now looking at, I really don't enjoy eating out. But back then I did because um, I could sit and eat, you know. Um, and uh, here's me, you know, in the red, I'm actually having a party at my house that day. And I was not abstinent. I was actually way into my disease of eating and I wasn't happy, right? I mean, you can kind of get a glimmer. I had a smile on my face. It really wasn't a real smile. It was a very fake. I was just forcing the smile and it was a happy occasion, but I could barely brush my hair. I could barely brush my teeth. Um, my house was a mess. I was a mess. Um, but I was, you know, I was able to eat everything that day. I thought I could eat everything I wanted that day. And I remembered, you know, in those kinds of occasions, thinking to not eat what everyone else was eating was horrible. It was punitive and it was a horrible like thing to have to suffer through. And most of the time, you know, the deception, the lie I told myself was that I'm just gonna enjoy it tonight or I'm just gonna enjoy it today. I'll eat as much as I want today and then tomorrow I'll get right back on. And there's two major errors in that thinking. One is I did not actually enjoy it. <laughs> I didn't even enjoy it while I was eating it because it, it never was enjoyable. I never got satisfaction. I always wanted more as soon as it was in my mouth. And I couldn't get back on the next day, it was impossible for someone like me. Um, I'm on a vacation in the picture next to it. And again, I ate, right? On an occasion, um, I have the ability to ruin everything when food starts, you know, running the show. And here I am. I don't know if this was Thanksgiving. It could have been because this was actually in my sister's house. And my sister always hosts Thanksgiving in our family but it was, it was definitely some sort of family gathering. 
Could have been Thanksgiving, could have been another holiday, could have been a birthday celebration. But there I am in the middle, right? Drink in hand. And I know that I was eating in the bathroom that day. I know I was, because that's what I did at family occasions too. Um, you know, this is me with my son. I could barely hold him um, because the size of my body. And, you know, here's two side-by-sides. Uh, you notice the, the party blower in my husband's mouth? That was New Year's. That was New Year's. Um, I probably ate and drank a lot that day. I was miserable. Nothing, nothing but that leopard, you know, sweater fit me. Um, and I was just beside myself. Um, and I was, I, there wasn't enough food, you know, and there wasn't enough alcohol. There wasn't enough attention. There wasn't enough anything. Um, and here I am, you know, a few years later, side by side photos, right? Um, at another occasion, another celebration, we probably went out to dinner afterwards because my family does like to celebrate achievements with the dinner out. And I probably ate the same thing I eat every single time I go out to dinner and my family laughs, you know, they, they know it's salmon, a vegetable and a salad. It doesn't matter where I am, um, that's my go-to. And, you know, here's another side-by-side. -side. In the gray, I'm actually at a big family occasion. My face is different. I've recovered there. My body hadn't caught up yet, but um, the food was quiet and, um, and I ate. Actually, on that occasion, I was paying for this huge catered affair. I ate my same plate of salmon, vegetable, and salad. It didn't matter, right? Um, and, um, and here's, you know, me right? Um, every one of those, I always say, the miracle is that um, every one of those dresses fits me. And I know it. I go in the closet, I pull it out, and I wear them. Um, I'm at a family occasion here, another celebration. I was entirely abstinent that day. Um, and I'm going to share my tips, how I get through those kinds of occasions, again, side by side, um, and out at dinner again, right? Go dinner again because they like that. And then just to show that um, uh, that that dress, you know, the yellow one I showed before, I have worn it over and over again. Just this summer, Janet and I went into the city to see a Broadway show. The funny part is, we both brought our lunches, and we wound up we we were running so late that we actually ate our lunches standing up in the train station. Like, you know, we didn't have any time. Food is so quiet. It just doesn't, doesn't really matter what the occasion is. Um, food's really, it, it's inconsequential to me. Um, and that's really what I want to kind of drill down on for the holidays that, um, you know, first of all, the topic is being abstinent through the holidays. So let's first define what is abstinence? Like, I think that's an important thing to, 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 bring to the table here, right? In the doctor's opinion, it says XXIV that we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperature drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. 
And once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. Okay, so why did I read that? <laughs> well, I think the part that I kind of want to hone in on is it says in any form at all. And that would include in any location at all, right? Not just in any form at all, but in any place at all. So if a food is an allergic food for me, it doesn't matter where that is, right? My allergy doesn't disappear because of the place that I'm eating it in, right? That would make no sense. An allergy is consistent. And so um, the only solution for me is to remain entirely abstinent from my alcoholic foods, from the allergic foods. And it says here that the action of refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. So um, abstinence is refraining from compulsive eating. And I also say for me, that means impulsive eating, eating without a plan, eating without a thought, making a switch just like that and not bringing it to anyone else's attention. That for me is a part of compulsion. It's impulsive and that is part of my compulsion. Um, and behaviors, right? So whatever those behaviors are, whether it's over-exercising, whether it's saving your meals all for one big giant meal, that's a compulsive food behavior, right? That is not normal, healthy behavior. And that was something I used to do. I would, I would wait as long as possible to eat. And then I would cram all my meals in one sitting. That's a binge. That's a binge. That's compulsive eating behaviors. Um, and now abstinence means that you're either working towards or you're maintaining a healthy body weight. So if your body weight is not healthy, the idea is that you're working towards it, right? Um, and if it is healthy, your, your idea is to maintain it, right? And that also means that sometimes with age or with activity, our food plan does need to be altered, right? By a nutritionist or by someone else's eyes who are helping you. But that if I were to, if I were to eat the same way now that I ate when I first came in at 300 pounds, I would be overeating because what I require, I'm 160 pounds less today than I was when I first came. So what I require to keep this body running healthy, and I'm older, right? I'm going to be 54. So I'm a little bit older than I was when I first came in. Um, I need less food. That's just the reality of it. Um, so my problem, here's my problem though, is that um, lack of knowledge is not my dilemma. That's not my problem, but I lack power. So I can know 100% that I am unable to eat, right? I'm unable to eat something and I still lack the capacity to act in ways which are in agreement with that information. That's really a difficult problem.
that I can know something and yet I can't take what I know and apply it to everyday practice. And so I know for me that the only thing that keeps me abstinent is a relationship with God. That is it. It is my relationship with God that maintains my abstinence. And how do we get that relationship with God is we work the steps. That's, that's what it is for people like me. I've got a way to get that relationship with God. And for me, it requires the steps. In page XXII, it says, though we work out our solution on the spiritual as well as an altruistic plane, we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who's very jittery if we thought. So we've discussed, you know, I've discussed a lot, what does it mean, this hospitalization concept? Um, and if you're new, you know, you might be thinking, oh my God, is she telling me I have to go into a treatment facility? No, that's not what I'm explaining. You might, I don't know, you might, I didn't, right? But we have this hospitalization kind of idea, this idea that we'll make our own. And what that means is that we're going to have really tight parameters around the food, ourselves, the way we live. And now this is not for the rest of my life. When I say hospitalization, for me, that meant I wasn't eating at, at big events when I was working the steps initially because I did not have this relationship with God yet. So I didn't have sufficient power. I was working on forming that relationship. I didn't have it. What I had was willingness and some grace. I had God's grace and I had willpower. And my willpower had an expiration date. And I know that. Only I don't know the expiration date. I just know that there is one. I just, it's a mystery. When it expires is, you know, new to me. So, um, so in this hospitalization kind of period, it's when we're new, when we're new in the program, when we're just working the steps. And, um, and I think it's important for us to know where someone is in the steps in order to suggest how to remain abstinent through the holidays. Because perhaps you're going to need to bring your own food with you, right? If you're showing up to a family member's house for Thanksgiving and you don't know that the food that they're going to have is going to be entirely abstinent food for you, you might need to bring your own. You might need to advocate. I would say I, I always advocate and I always ask. I ask whoever is hosting me, can I, you know, I say, would you, are you willing to tell me the menu? Can you tell me what you're serving? And then I might ask, can you share a little bit how that's prepared? I ask it because I have a deadly allergy, right? And, and what I would say is, um, I, um, I'm willing to go to any length for victory over the food, any length. And so I don't really worry too much about what my hostess or host thinks about me, whether they think I have poor manners for asking for specifics, how they prepare something, or if I'm really uncomfortable asking, if it's a situation where it's like, you know, someone's house, I haven't been there before and I'm nervous, I just bring my own food. The end. 
Like I think about it the same way that if my kid had a Debbie keynote allergy, one should think about that for a minute. If your child had a deadly peanut allergy, you would not worry about how someone thought about you. You would advocate, you would ask, does this have peanuts in it? <laughs> Is it prepared where there's peanuts? And if you didn't trust them, you bring your own food, right? You would just bring it. And that's how I have to look at my own abstinence. Um, because here it says, right, um, XXVI, all these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates these people, <laughs> differentiates them, we're different, and sets them apart as a distinct entity. And it has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. So what I what I whenever I get to this part, I do the, I got this one little thing I do, right? I take a piece of paper. I'm looking for a piece of paper here. Oh, I got one. Here's my paper. And I fold it in half. <laughs> right. And on one half of the page, right, are the people who, you know, they don't have to ask their hostesses what they're serving. They they can overindulge a little bit on Thanksgiving. They don't have to worry so much, right? They can just sort of show up, you know, eat what eat what's there, eat it in moderation, maybe even overeat because everybody overeats on Thanksgiving. It's like a national, you know, it's um, it's a tradition. It's traditional to eat too much on Thanksgiving. But those people are not me. I'm on this side of the page. And here's what my truth is that I cannot start without developing the phenomenon of craving. So for me, if I eat my alcoholic foods on Thanksgiving, I've just triggered the allergy and there's nothing I can do about it. I have an allergic response, right? And that also for me means overeating on my abstinent foods, by the way, right? That's the truth. Because if I overeat, I also trigger that phenomenon of craving. I don't know why, but once I reach a point of stuff, I want more. It makes no sense. It's, a, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy, right? To be so stuffed and then that makes you want more. That's what makes me different from other people. That's what differentiates me sets me apart, right, as a different class. And you wanna know how to remain abstinent through the holidays? If you're that class, you have to know it. And you have to know, you know, it says can never be eradicated. So I think about eradicated, like see the crease in this paper? I can't uncrease it. I can open it up, it's still there. It's not gonna change. I am that class. I am that distinct entity. I can't trigger my allergy. I don't know what's going to happen, right? The same thing could happen to me. If I start eating my alcoholic foods, I don't know what's going to happen to me. It could, could happen exactly what happened to me, you know, 10 years ago, the last time I overate, right? 10 years ago. So 
um, the only thing we have to suggest is entire abstinence. That's it. So I have to have a respect. I'm going to talk to you now about um, having a respect for who I am and what my disease and recovery requires. And my sponsor taught me this. She taught me the three Ps. And I've kind of like tweaked it. And there's four Ps actually. And here they are, right? Plan, prepare, protect, and pray. That's how I maintain my abstinence. Plan, prepare, protect, and pray. So I have a plan, right? Know what you're going to be eating. Do not just wing it. You're going to someone's house. Know what you're going to eat. Have a plan. Make a plan and commit it to your sponsor. I'm honest with others and I can request what I need, but it's up to me to provide it. So when I go to people's houses for the holidays, um, I'm, I'm blessed because the people, I go to my sister, it's the same, my whole family goes there. It's a big, it's a big to do, but you know, they've been walking this walk through with me for years. And I, the reason I say I'm blessed is um, they respect it because I'm rigorously honest with everybody there, right? I've told everybody knows what I can eat and what I can't eat. Um, I'm very clear about it and um, and I bring what I need, right? I just, I usually show up with a gorgeous salad that anybody, not just for me, for, you know, I make a big enough one that anybody else can have it. And I feel proud to bring it because it's beautiful looking. I make it pretty, you know, with, um, and, um, and I request what I need. Right. I, I, I ask, how is it being prepared? You know, and if I'm not sure, I have some some standbys, things I throw in my bag that I just bring with me. Right. In the event. So prepare. You may need to bring something with you in the event that what you were going to eat isn't available or turns out that the host made a switch and prepared it in a way that you can no longer eat it, right? Like I've walked into events and my friend said to me, she was gonna make this. And um, she said, oh, you know what? I decided not to make that after all because so-and-so was bringing that, right? Now, what am I gonna do, right? I cannot be a victim of circumstances. I have to treat this like the seriousness that it deserves. I prepare right? And then I protect. What does that mean to protect it? Well, you know, um, when people offer you something, oh, I want you to talk about prepare. I, I was going to share this because I have a dear, a dear uh, friend in the program who is actually going away. And she has to have a specific, uh, she drinks her vegetables in the morning. That's part of her food plan. How she, it's how she's worked her program for years. And she's like, I'm going to this place. Do you think I should just like, I don't know, do something different? And we talked about it and we realized there is no reason why she could not pack 
a small blender. Like, if this is her life, you know, and I've shared with her, I have terrible problems with my gums, with my teeth. And I bring my water pick wherever I go. If I'm going on vacation, I pack it up in the box. It's not much bigger. Her, her blender is not much bigger than my water pick. Why do I do that? Because otherwise I'm gonna be in agony. My mouth hurts. I don't feel good. I'm in pain, right? Same thing, right? My abstinence, if I don't prepare and protect it, she's gonna be in pain in a couple of days. She might get this crazy idea. You know, I didn't have all my vegetables. I might as well have a cupcake. You know, you never know. This disease is crazy like that. It makes me believe insane things. So prepare, right? Prepare. Pre now protect. What does that mean? Protect. When people offer you something you don't eat, I, here's what I'd say. Don't say, I'm trying to be good. That is the worst thing in the world that you could say. Like I go to, right, I go to my sister's house and my, one of my brothers is always like, here, you come on, you could eat it. You've been this size for forever. Don't be ridiculous. Come on. And he will tell me, there's no such thing as this allergy thing. You're, that, that's baloney. You know, and he really wants to tell me this. And uh, I protect my abstinence, but I don't have to get into it with him. I don't have to debate, right? I don't say I'm trying to be good, right? It's not a morality issue. I don't want people who are eating to feel like I'm judging them and saying they're being bad. They're not being bad. They're enjoying food, right? For me, it's not a matter of being good or bad. It's a matter of being sick or being well, right? So I protect it. Um, I don't spend a lot of time explaining and debating. I've got this perfect way that I answer someone when they offer me something. It's really simple, you ready? Oh, no, thank you. Like it is the easiest, try it. it it's, it's mind blowing. It's actually the only thing you need to say because what is someone gonna say? No, you have to. I mean, I just go, oh, oh, it's so nice that you thought of me. No, thanks. It like ends the conversation, right? Um, and if appropriate, I do explain to people exactly what it is I have and why I won't be eating that. And then here's the other thing. Pray, pray. If you're uncomfortable with events, pray and meditate not on how are you going to make it through the day but here's here's what i do i pray and meditate who can i help there i ask god help me find the person you want me to help there right because this is a program of others this is a program where we think about others and more about alcoholism on page 30 it says no person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow someday he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. 
The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. So why would I share this with you? Well, I must know that I am bodily and mentally different from my family and other people I might be sharing the holidays with. And the thought that I am possibly missing out on something I once enjoyed is delusional thinking. It's not even true. Not all that enjoyable, right? It really wasn't all that enjoyable because um, for me, you know, I showed you those pictures and I told you like I ate in the bathroom. That's not fun. When your family's all hanging out together and you're eating in the bathroom and you shove stuff in your pocket, right? And you're not hearing the conversations around you because you're counting how many are left. And if you could get your hand in the plate without anyone noticing, right? That's not fun. It's not really enjoyable. So the extra bite for me that led to the binge guarantees that I will always emerge remorseful. I have never once, never once woken up the day after a binge and said, ah, oh, that was excellent. That hit the spot. Never. I always emerge remorseful. You know, I never get this feeling like, oh, that's it. I got it out of my system and now I'm ready. I never feel like I got a fill of it. It always leads to more. I always wake up crushed and defeated. So this illusion that I'm gonna enjoy it, it's another lie, right? And the problem with us, with me, is that I have no mental defense. Not a strong enough memory, you know, throwing information and data at me doesn't do much to help. I have a spiritual malady and it shows up in the form of insanity. And it can only be treated with abstinence and a spiritual awakening. Page 36 to 37 says, it talks about now about Jim putting some whiskey in his milk. He had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic. He had all reasons for drinking are easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. Whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call that plain insanity. How can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight be called anything else? And the reason I mentioned this whiskey and the milk thing is, um, you know, thinking, well, you know, if it's part of the dish that she made, you know, if it's just one of the many ingredients in the dish that she made, um, you know, it won't really bother me this time. It won't really count, right? It won't really be a big deal. You know, the marshmallows on the sweet potato, it's part of the sweet potato after all, right? No big deal. Um, that's lacking proportion. That's having no ability to think straight. You know, lacking proportion means that I make things that are crucially important, less important, right? I minimize the importance of the things that are most important to me. And I make things that are not that important, majorly important. Like the opinions of people at a table is the most important thing 
when I lack proportion, what they think of me, most important thing, but the fact that I have a deadly allergy, not so important at all. That's crazy, right? And I always say like, you know, I teach second grade. I have taught many students throughout the years who have peanut allergies. Their parents do not lack proportion. They don't care about offending me. They don't care about offending the other moms that send cupcakes in. They make their point known. My kid has this allergy. What are you going to give them instead? And they don't feel apologetic about it. I have to have the same attitude towards my own deadly allergy. I cannot lack proportion here. So on page 100 to 101, it talks with, about in working with others, okay? So now I'm going to talk to assuming that you're spiritually fit, right? Assuming you're spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things that alcoholics and compulsive overeaters are not supposed to be able to do. People have said, we must not go where liquor is served. We must not have it in our homes. We must shun friends who drink. We have to avoid those things. Um, but our experience shows us that this is not necessarily so. We meet these conditions every day. An alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There is something the matter with his spiritual status. So, and then further down the page on the third paragraph, it says, so here's our rule. We have a rule. I love rules. It's not to avoid a place where there's drinking if we have legitimate reason for being there. So we have to have a good reason to be there. What's the reasons we can go? What are our reasons then, right? Um, fourth paragraph says, you'll note that we have made an important qualification. Therefore, ask yourself on each occasion, have I any good social, business, or personal reasons for going to this place? Do I have a real reason that I need to be there? Or am I expecting to steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such places? If you answer these questions satisfactorily, you need not have no apprehension, go or stay away, whatever seems best, but be sure that you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive in going is thoroughly good. So it's important to understand why I'm going to an event. If it's to be with my family in celebration, or if it's a work Christmas party, and it's a part of my job, or if it's a new, you know, maybe it's a new like relationship and I'm meeting like my partner's family, for example, right? I go to, I go to all kinds of gatherings, but I'm not, I'm not gonna go suggest a food centered activity just so I can watch others indulge. Like if I'm the one orchestrating the invitation, I don't suggest a buffet. I'm not like, yay, let's do a buffet, right? Because that's like, uh, it's like, it's too much vicarious pleasure. Um, and I also need to know if I'm spiritually fit enough to go, right? I have to be on solid spiritual ground. Do not think of what you're going to get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. 
But if you're shaky, you would better work with another alcoholic instead. So I love, I love how our solution, it's always the same. It's the same solution. Our directions are really consistent. If you're having any problem at all, regardless of your problem, the remedy is to help others. It's to think of others. So if you're on solid, if you're on shaky ground and you're nervous about going, the suggestion is maybe you shouldn't go and instead help someone who needs help work with another compulsive overeater. Now it goes on to say though, why sit with a long face? So now if you can go, let's say you are spiritually fit and this is an occasion that you need to go. Now we're gonna be told, how do we show up there? When it says, why sit with a long face in places where there's drinking, sighing about the good old days? If it's a happy occasion, try to increase the pleasure of those there. If it's a business occasion, go and attend to your business enthusiastically. If you're with a person who wants to eat in a bar, by all means, go along. Let your friends know they are not to change their habits on your account. So don't sit there pouting. Don't sit in the corner with a sour puss on. There's no point. If you're gonna sit there and pout, don't go, right? It's not thoughtful to your guests or to your hosts. And it's certainly not serving anyone else to sit there with a sad face on. What are we supposed to do then? We're supposed to increase the fun. We're supposed to bring more fun to an event. My goal is to carry the message and my demeanor speaks louder than my words. When I go and I'm carrying the message, it's not me telling people in the, you know, in the, in the, in this family gathering, sugar is terrible for you. Overeating is horrible. You know, food addiction is a serious problem. No, no, that's not selling anybody. My demeanor. I show up, I'm smiling, I'm happy, I'm friendly, I'm kind. Oh, no, thank you. When they offer me something to eat, that speaks volumes, that carries the message. You know, now it says at a proper time and place, explain to all your friends why alcohol disagrees with you. If you do this thoroughly, few people will ask you to drink. So yes, tell others that you have a food addiction. You can tell people. You never know if they might be suffering too, or if they know someone else who is. I can't carry the message if nobody knows that I have a message, right? How am I gonna carry it if they don't know it? And, and I remember that this is not a morality issue. I have a disease and I must be rid of feelings of shame. Otherwise I can't help anyone. So I'm never, I am never embarrassed to tell anybody that I have a food addiction, that I, am, I have a serious problem with food, that I'm like an alcoholic when it comes to food. Because I don't, it's not a matter of being good or bad. It was a matter of being sick and, or well. There's no, there's no morality involved here. It is exactly what I have, it's what I am. Um, in the family afterwards, page 124, it says, cling to the thought that in God's hands, 
The dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death or misery for them. So I have a responsibility to be honest, especially since I can save someone from death or misery, right? We have the ability to save people's lives, which means we have to be honest about what we have. You know, now let's go back to working with others again. Page 102, it says your job is to be at the place where you can be of maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go anywhere if you can be helpful, right? And that if those are your motives, if your motives are to be helpful, God will keep you unharmed. So here's my tips. Here's like my real time tips. Number one, I make a willingness list. I suggest to sponsees who are new to make a list of all the things that they're willing to do when the food starts calling their name. And I would suggest it should have at least 20 things on it. And then you take that list and you bring it with you. Do not stick it in your drawer where you can't access it. Bring it with you to your event that you're going to. You know, carry it with you, take it with you. When you get the desire to eat, to eat something or the food is calling your name, first thing, text your sponsor or text a fellow, text a partner and tell them, I, am, I wanna eat, I'm doing item number one on my list. Tell them what you're doing, do it. When you're done doing it, reach back out and let them know that either the desire was lifted or I still wanna eat and now I'm doing item number two. And that continues through. If you are willing, you will do it. If you're willing, you will do it. Number two, bring back up food with you. Do not go into an event without preparing, without having something. I throw in my bag, besides my, my salads that I bring, I throw in my bag a can of either tuna or salmon. It's just in my bag. You know, it's my go-to if I need it. I throw something else in my bag too. Um, number three, remain close to program. Throughout the holidays, do not skip your calls. Don't skip your prayer and meditation time, reaching out to newcomers and those struggling or newly abstinent. Do not let go of those things. In fact, do them more. We need them more. Four. Look for ways to be helpful. You know, what I do when I'm at family events is I play with the little kids. I have a lot of little great nieces and nephews. Um, their moms and dads want to sit at the table and hang out and talk. And so I look after the little ones. I'll play with them. I'm, I'll like diaper the baby. I'll go play, I'll, you know, play with the ball. I'll do sit, whatever it is. Um, I wash the dishes. I clear the table, I help with an older relative. And here's the next thing I do, which is always what I do when I'm nervous or anxious or feeling like maybe I don't have anything to say. I find the most socially awkward person in the room. I'm like on a mission. Let me find the person who looks like they don't know how to handle themselves socially. Let me sit next to them, be their friend. Let me talk to them, right? Um, when I do that, 
I don't really think so much about me anymore. And number five, during the meal, when your mind starts drifting to others' plates, right? Your mind starts drifting to other people's plates. I mentally say a prayer for each person at the table whose plate I'm looking at. Instead of looking at their plate, I try to look at their eyes and I try to, I try to ask God, help me pray to, for that person that they get everything they need. You know, I ask God to help me feel more loving towards this person. Those actions um, have really helped me consistently walk through these, you know, times abstinently. I bring my phone with me. Um, I text from the bathroom. If I get texts during the meal, I try to be present for the people I'm with. So I might put it on do not disturb, but I check my phone. I pick it up. I go into the bathroom from time to time, not to eat food shoved in my pockets, right? But to reach out to other people. Um, and um, with that, I will pass. Um,